Welcome to the Knowledge at Wharton podcasts. Knowledge at Wharton is the online research and business analysis journal of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Support for Knowledge at Wharton podcasts comes from Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their long-term financial goals at Vanguard.com. Roy Vagelos, a highly regarded pharmaceutical executive who spent two decades at Merck, including 10 years as CEO, has often said that, quote, research remains my lifeblood, end quote. And indeed, he has stayed active in the industry since his retirement from Merck in 1994. For example, he is chairman of the board of two small drug companies, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals and Theravance, and in 2004 co-authored a book entitled Medicine, Science, and Merck. Dr. Vagelos recently spoke on campus and agreed to talk with Steve Guglielmi, Senior Editor at Knowledge at Wharton, and myself, Robbie Schell, Editorial Director of the Knowledge at Wharton Network, about the state of the pharmaceutical industry today. Dr. Vagelos, at a recent Wharton Healthcare Business Conference held here, one of the panels was entitled Lagging R&D Productivity. What should the pharmaceutical industry do? Panelists ticked <clears> off a number of reasons for the slowdown in new drugs coming to market, including longer and more expensive clinical trials, an overemphasis on those elusive blockbuster drugs, the huge amount of money spent on sales and marketing staffs, and so on. What do you think is the main culprit behind this perception that the big pharmaceuticals are no longer coming up with the drugs that people need, want, and can pay for? <laughs> it's, a, it's a wonderful and very broad question. First of all, all the, all the uh, things that were listed as limiting the uh, productivity of the pharmaceutical industry are, are correct to some degree. However, uh, one should take the long view and recognize that there are waves of, of new product discovery as new technology is introduced. For instance, in mid-70s, when, when I and a group of people with me moved to Merck, and we brought biochemistry and molecular targeting in, into Merck that yielded such things as the statins, which were, which were uh, discovered. The first one was not discovered at Merck, but the first one that went onto the market was discovered at Merck. Uh, the um, uh, blood, drugs for high blood pressure, which were the drugs of choice, uh, the drugs for uh, glaucoma, and new antibiotics. There was a whole stream of drugs that not coming only from Merck, but other companies caught on to the biochemistry as a, as a technology to, to use in drug discovery and molecular targeting. And so there was an upgrade in a number of new products that were introduced over a 15, 20-year period, which came from that new technology. Well, the information that, that uh, gave rise to those drugs now is, is now tapering off, and new sources of new information, which are the, uh, the information that's coming from genomics and proteomics, and, and that is just beginning. And, and we have seen uh, more in the way of uh, understanding uh, the proteins and the, and the molecules that are involved in cancer, for instance, in new drugs like Avastin and, and Herbitux and things like that. That are, that are products that are different kinds of cancer drugs. Uh, I think we are going to see drugs in, in Alzheimer's disease 
simply because we have reached a new level of understanding based on genomics. And so <clears throat> we're going to hit another uh, up, upgrade in, in introduction of new important drugs and, and uh, drugs and vaccines, I should say. And so I'm very optimistic over the long term and, and believe that the uh, changes that we've seen in the last 50 years uh, will be eclipsed by the changes that we see in the next 50 years. <clears throat> On the question of generic drugs, uh, how big a hit are pharmaceuticals taking from the number of drugs that are coming off patent and thus susceptible to uh, inroads from generics? Oh, well, the, the hits are enormous because as the, uh, each company, almost every company, has a couple of drugs that are their largest uh, selling drugs. Uh, that's happening at Merck. Everybody knows that Zocor is going to come off uh, patent this year. And there are drugs and throughout the industry that represent often a, a disproportionate amount of their, of their revenues and a, a much greater part of their, of their uh, profits. And, and that is the game we play. We know that the patents are going to be uh, on paper 20 years. And in effect, after you go through the development program, you, you end up with perhaps 10 years or 12 years of patent protection. Mm -hmm. After that, your drugs are going to, uh, going to become generics. And, and the question is, uh, do you have an adequate pipeline behind them? And, and, that's, <clears throat> and that is the, that's the game everybody's playing. And, and those, are the, those are the bets that are made. And the only people who can solve that are the leaders of, of research. And can they, can they come up with new ideas? Can they make new breakthroughs to really make significant improvements in health going forward so that as the big ones come off, uh, new ones are starting up and coming in? For instance, uh, as the cholesterol drugs of, at, at, at Merck go off patent, there's a new stream of, of uh, high cholesterol controlling drugs that are just entering the market. And the question is, will they grow up fast enough to pick up the losses that will be, will, will be uh, uh, resulting from the fact that there, are gener there will be generic competition? Okay. So it's a big deal. Hmm. Yeah, well, <clears throat> what about uh, India specifically? How, how, <clears throat> um, how serious is the competition viewed there in terms of generics? Well, India, of course, is an entirely different thing because they do not adhere to patent laws and therefore they will, will introduce uh, generic competition whenever they can get away with it. It's not a problem in the United States because uh, they can't bring in generic products into the U.S. and, and, and compete illegally, uh, but they do in other parts of the world. And so uh, on the one hand, uh, uh, Indian generics uh, aren't, aren't an issue in that you have to be careful that they're not they're not illegally coming in and taking your market. Uh, on the other hand, they were important in introduction of modern HIV drugs in Africa when the multinational large pharmas uh, were putting their head in the sand and saying that they could not, they could not possibly uh, provide drugs to, to Africans because the prices would have to be too low to allow them to even recover their costs. Well, when the Indians, when the Indians started uh, putting in generic drugs and making a profit, 
that was very embarrassing, as it should have been, to the uh, multinationals. And each one then, somehow, out of magic, was able to introduce a program picking their own country, where they did a magnificent job at introducing uh, HIV drugs and did, did a great job, which they could have done before without getting a black eye. But the whole industry was, took a terrific bashing, which was well-deserved. Drug companies' return on investment has been uh, fairly abysmal, I think, from a Wall Street point of view, and some would say that the business model is broken. One suggestion has been to ramp up the alliances with biotech companies. Pfizer announced last week that it would acquire Rynat <coughs> Neuroscience, a biotech company that works on drugs for Alzheimer's and um, pain medication. Is acquisition of biotechs a viable path? Is acquisition of biotechs a viable path? I think acquisitions, licensing, uh, long-term deals of various sorts are going to be the norm going forward, uh, simply because, well, there are several reasons. One is that, that uh, much of the inventive talent that's coming out of the training lines, uh, is be, much of it is being attracted to small companies. Uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, these small companies are often started by professors with good ideas. And when the professors start their little company down the street, of course they want to succeed and they'll send their best students to that little small company. So they're siphoning off the top, which, who otherwise might have gone to the large pharmaceutical companies and, and, and driven their research productivity. So a lot of that is going there. And, and uh, so the large companies now are recognizing that much of the inventiveness, the, uh, uh, the, the uh, people who are the uh, risk takers, the people who are coming up with the exciting new stuff are in small companies, so they're acquiring them, they're licensing them, etc. And that's going to be, that's going to be what they're going to do. But at the same time, these, these, the biotech industry has lost literally tens of billions of dollars over the last three decades. So how hard is it for a pharmaceutical company to do an alliance? How do you know when to get into that company? You know, what stage of development do you enter into a deal? Well, that, that's a good question. When do you enter a deal? It depends on your understanding of the science that they're doing and, and the sophistication of the people making the choices because the trick, obviously, is going to be to select the winners. There are very few winners among the biotech startups. Most of them... Uh, uh, are, are not going to succeed. And so one must select the, the winners. And, and since when they're obvious, because they're in the clinic, everybody's going to go after them, and there'll be huge competition, the trick is to go earlier than that, before it is obvious. And here it takes enormous sophistication, but there are some people who can do it. Some are sophisticated. And what the large companies are discovering is that instead of having most of their hotshots in the, in, the, in the laboratories, they're going to have to have some hot shots making the selections. A growing trend in the pharmaceutical industry is the outsourcing of work at various stages of drug development, whether it's managing data, running clinical trials, uh, which are now being conducted in places like China, India, South Africa, and Eastern Europe. Is this a positive trend, or do you foresee problems with that model? I don't see any problems with that model so long as the studies are done in places that adhere to FDA requirements and are FDA approved. So long as you have that, there's no problem. The issue is finding enough patients who 
fit the criteria that are required for the studies and have on the ground adequate um, facilities and people to carry out good studies. So wherever you do the studies is okay with me so long as they're done well and can be audited and monitored well and, and uh, adhere to all the regulations. And mm-hmm. so uh, I, I don't think that's a problem. And I think not only our clinical studies, but, but many things are going to be outsourced in the future. For instance, uh, most of the big pharmas have enormous uh, dedicated manufacturing facilities. Uh, one can have chemicals or even proteins made at a fraction of the cost by going outside the United States and outsourcing. And, and these are plants, especially small molecules, these are plants that are completely FDA approved. Mm-hmm. And so Big Pharma is going to be left with this huge plant, wondering what to do with it at some point. We had a speaker from a major pharmaceutical company here several months ago who contended that the pricing system <clears> for <throat> drugs in the U.S. simply doesn't work. At one point, you had suggested that the industry should adopt a one-price policy when selling drugs in different countries, a, a strategy that would neutralize the current debate over uh, drug imports from Canada, for example, uh, and also would spread out the costs of research more evenly across consumers in different countries. How difficult would it be to achieve that one-price policy? Well, it, it is uh, extremely difficult because the prices in the rest of the world, uh, other than the United States, are controlled by government, and they're all negotiated prices. And, and so you have... Uh, the situation in the United States where a company, a, a company that I was associated with at least, would come up with a, a uh, price that is based on the value delivered for that drug. And, and that was the U.S. price. And then they would try to derive that in other parts of the world. And most other places will not pay that price because they don't want to pay for the research. And, and so uh, the trick going forward, and it probably never happened, is that a very important new drug will be invented in the United States again, as they always will be, I think. Uh, And that company will say, look, we have this one price, and if you want it, that's what it costs, because that's that's how we can run our research organization. It'll be a fair price. It'll be price to value. Are you improving uh, quality of life? Are you keeping people alive? Are you keeping them out of a hospital? If you take criteria of that sort and based your, your, your pricing on that. And at the end, say, is it a fair price? Uh, and you get good pricing. And then you can be very tough about it. I would be very tough. But you have to have a life-saving, important drug uh, and force the other countries, if they want it, yeah. and, and to, to pay it. Now, I will say that some of the pricing recently of some cancer drugs, is, are, are, some of these prices are excessive and they don't adhere to my value model. They say, you know, here's a drug that will increase life on the average of four to six months. And for that, you pay $50,000. I can't accept that. Just uh, picking up on that line about uh, life-saving drugs, do you feel that companies are are maybe too focused on uh, lifestyle drugs like Viagra? Uh, than on important sort of life-saving drugs? And, and two, do you think that companies are focusing maybe too much on um, producing drugs for illnesses for which existing uh, treatments uh, already are? Uh-huh. 
Well, the, the, they're sort of separate questions. Uh, the first, the lifestyle drugs. Viagra came out of a out of a research program that was looking for a cardiovascular uh, product, and then it turned out that it wasn't very good for cardiovascular disease, but it but it went to the genitals and and, and had an effect that on on erection, uh, and therefore they they got a big product out of it, but they were not focusing on that. Now others went after that same mechanism to get another Viagra, and so there are several on the on the market now. That, that uh, uh, has never been a, a major target. I think most pharmaceutical companies are looking for life-saving drugs and, mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, de are dedicated to improving health. I, I really believe that. So some now, of these lifestyle drugs are more of an accident? The, uh, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, after the first one, of course, the ones that also follow the same approach to mm -hmm. come up with another accident. Sure. That's not <laughs> <laughs> the profitable accident. Yes. yes. Okay, so, so um, but the other one was... Uh, you, you, you also asked, uh, are there uh, people working on drugs where there are already drugs in the field? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, that, that is done. And the reason for that usually is that you're looking for an improvement. Mm -hmm. An improvement, for instance, you have a, let's say you have a drug that causes high blood pressure, but it also can cause, uh, perhaps uh, you have to take it three times a day. Well, people who have high blood pressure don't want to take pills three times a day. Mm -hmm. And so a once-a-day drug would be, for compliance alone, would be an improvement. Mm -hmm. You can also have side effects, which you can eliminate by a second-generation drug. Uh, you can uh, say so you can improve compliance, you can get rid of side effects, you can, you can sometimes increase potency so, uh, over the original drug and achieve a level of, of uh, therapy that is not achieved by the first uh, product in the field. Mm -hmm. And so there is good reason, there are reasons, mm -hmm. to try to improve drugs in places where there are already drugs, but which are not good enough. I'm going to ask you one last question. I know our time's up. Do you have time for one last yep. one? Um, your leadership in the 1980s, when you led the effort at Merck mm -hmm. to give away a drug to cure river blindness in Africa, is still mm -hmm. cited as a textbook example of a company stepping up to its responsibility as a global citizen. Of course, the move brought favorable publicity to Merck, but it also energized the company and gave it a sense of mission, I think, for probably decades after that. You don't hear stories like that anymore. Why not? And what can, how can pharmaceuticals mm -hmm. do a better job of restoring the public's confidence? Well, that, that's a very complicated question also. Yeah, we, d we did something that was uh, a strategic move in 1987 to, to supply ivermectin, a drug we called it mectazan for when it was applied to river blindness. Uh, we started with a program knowing that there were 18 million people who were infected, 100 million people who were at risk, and we decided after I worked for over a year to try to identify uh, sources of funds to cover those drugs in governments where they would be sold the drug by Merck essentially at cost. And they would not do it. And so we, we, we had this possibility of a drug sitting on the shelf that was going to save, uh, prevent 18, 20, 50 million people from becoming blind. And we stepped up to it and said we would contribute it free to anyone in the world for as long as it was required. Um, that stunned the world, and, and uh, it, I will tell you, the people of Merck were absolutely ecstatic. They said, you know, we never thought we'd do something this good. And, and it assured our Merck's being able to recruit the top people in every field 
for decades. And so it was a terrific move, which was made at this really uh, stewing for, for many months on how to get it done to get the drugs to the people. Uh, why aren't other companies doing as much? Um, I don't know. I think the, uh, they look at the immediate expense and they back away from it. They fear effects on pricing, which we did not have with that particular product because it wasn't going to be sold in other parts of the world. River blindness is only in poor places. Uh, so for, for various reasons, uh, people have not been very positive in, in following us there. Some have, but, but few.